Hello, and welcome to the 1L2M podcast. Yo, I'm guest Amy, and we're joined by some other special guests today. Mike. Yo. Tommy. Yo. And our only regular guests we have today, Liam. Hi. We're a family of creatives going through the story writing process, and we're bringing you along for the ride. Hello, everyone. Uh, how is everyone this week? It's very somber monotone intro yeah comparative to that music we just <laughs> speaking of which if we haven't mentioned it saying. before tommy created that intro music for us and it is just mm, chef's kiss phenomenal so good what is the chef kissing i don't i think it's kiss. just like like when they're like Mwah, like it's so good Mwah. yeah but they're the, kissing their fingers they're, are they like kissing themselves for using their fingers to make the thing that they think is delicious yeah, that's that's a very interesting point. So I'm like kissing myself right now, and it's like, what the fuck are they doing? I usually it's like, like taste like bud explosion. You're not actually supposed. Sorry, usually you're not actually supposed to like touch your fingers. I don't think. Oh, every time I, I do like, it, I put my fingers in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> just shove them full in there. No, just the tips. You Ooh. know. Sorry. <laughs> I just put lotion on. I don't want to do that. So. Tastes no. good. Cool. So, how is everyone doing? <laughs> uh, I'm doing pretty great. That's it. Wow. I know. I had a lot to say. Amy, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty great. Wow. That's all I had to this say. Podcast is going really good so far. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a story from work that I'd like to share with everybody. Wait, Liam, how are you doing? Doing all right. Oh, Mike, great. you can continue. Uh, so this week, I, I have a story from work I would like to share with everybody. I work in a tree nursery, and we pack trees, and it's cold inside the environment. Your hands get cold, and you have to stand up all day, and you don't get paid well at all. And I heard from my bosses, hey, in about an hour, we're going to have a, a film crew here, and they're just going to be shooting some stuff for some promotional material for the nursery that we're doing and I went okay that's fine and I don't have a problem being on film I don't have a problem talking in public or anything like that but I am getting paid really terribly to do a a not great job and I know that people are going to be getting in my way while I'm doing it and so I was kind of a little bit cranky I was also a little tired in the morning so the film crew shows up and they start setting up their stuff and there's only like three people and they got some lights and some microphones and, you know, they're trying to figure out the best lighting position and figure out where to put people that they're actually interviewing. They're interviewing my bosses and, you know, none of the, the low lives, which is us, the regular workers. So they're setting stuff up and then they see that they have a bag full of costumes, like shirts and stuff. Oh, no. And they start going over and trying to shoot some B-roll stuff. And before they do that, they grab some of these shirts and some of the people there. They say, hey, can you wear this shirt? You know, it's a little bit more colorful. And it's, I mean, it's cold in there. Let me put it this way. I'm wearing a zip-up hoodie. I'm wearing a big coat. It's nice and heavy. And so my annoyance level's going up a little bit. And I'm thinking, look, I am not a prop. That is the big thing that... I don't like being, I don't want to be pushed around and told, stand here, talk like this, do this, 
when I am at work to do a job that is totally different from that. Now, if you wanted to pay me like I was an extra or pay me to be a prop, I will gladly be a prop. Again, don't have a problem being on camera. So I was getting kind of upset as they started moving people around. And I noticed that they changed almost everybody's clothes, but mine. And I thought, that's great. I'm, you know, I, I have a large size shirt. I don't need to wear anything. And everybody else there is like small or medium. You know, they're all college students. And so, you know, I'm the old guy, old fat guy. I don't need to get any clothing or anything. So they start shooting some B-roll stuff and, you know, they're having interviews on the other side of the nursery where all the green trees are and we're packing on the other end of it. And they're focusing on this one girl and she's, you know, young and pretty. So that totally makes sense. You want some really nice media pictures. And I'm just going to thank God that I'm not in that because I was very livid. I'm not a prop. How dare you assume that I'm a prop? This is where I'm working. And, you know, I'm just slowly boiling and people are kind of giggling and laughing because they know that I don't like doing this. And then they have one of the guys who was interviewed and they have him take over the position that I was doing, which was putting all the packed trees into a box and keeping count. I'm like, okay, fine. He's a manager. They need shots of that. So I just step off to the side and they film him and I'm still kind of going, this is stupid. I can't believe it. And then they bring me to the table because they need me to keep working. And they start doing more B-rolls. And I notice they're panning the camera across all the college students. Right when they before they get to me, they sort of pan down to the trees on the table. Then they move over. And then they pan back up to the college <laughs> students on the side. And I'm going, yeah, they, they missed me. That's, that's good. That's good. I don't want to be on film. And then they rearranged us in a little bit of a position. And they took a bunch of shots of other people. And I walked in the frame. And they stopped their B-rolls. And... I'm starting to think like, okay, wait, wait, what's wrong here? They don't want to put a shirt on me and they don't want to pan to me. They don't want to have my face in frame. And then they're pulling other people over and they're doing a bunch of simple shots with them. And anytime I get near the crew's like, all right, let's keep going. Let's move over here, this and that. And then they bring out this pad and they're having everybody sign for their likeness to be in this video. And they totally skip me. And by the end of it, I'm going, wait, all right, what's wrong with me? Why can't I be in these shots? Okay. Am I ugly? Am I too old? What is the, what's the problem here? And so I purposely am trying to get in some of these shots and I noticed they're absolutely avoiding me. And I went in the course of about 30 minutes from, I cannot believe that they would want me to be a prop to what the hell is wrong with me? Am I ugly? I can't believe. <laughs> I want to be a prop. Yeah. I want to be a prop. Please let me be a prop. So yeah, I just went through the rest of the day being told what to do and being put off camera specifically. And it was terrible. But the fact that I completely Aww. switched from a, I'm not a prop to a, please prop me up a model. That's, that's <laughs> why, why do you think that they did that? Uh, honestly, so I'm 35. Everybody else there is ancient, is their young 20s, right? And I am not a manager, so they have no reason to interview me. I was definitely the largest person there. And I was wearing just a really cheap blue hoodie on the outside layer. So I just looked kind of like bummy. And I really think that they just didn't want me in the shot because they're trying to present the nursery as this beautiful place where students get to learn. And beautiful, hip, young hangout. Yeah. Although I am a student, I don't look like a student. I look like I'm a you know, supervisor or something, but I'm not. So why would they interview me? Why would they put me on camera? And I think that they saw how upset I was at being 
at thinking that I was going to be a prop to all of a sudden, you know, they went, okay, we're not going to put him on film. He's not photogenic. You keep calling yourself fat. Like you're like this, like million pound person walking around. You're, you're not that large, Uh, but I am. I mean, I really am. I'm what? 260, 270 pounds or something. And that is obese. Like there's no doubt about it. You know, I've got way too much belly fat. I have to think about this when I get older because, you know, one of the leading causes of heart disease are is in men is because of belly fat. It's where we actually like hold most of our weight is around there. So it's something I do need to be conscious of and I am working to improve that. And yeah, I've got some amazing thick thunder thigh legs that are full of muscle but it does not excuse the fact that the rest of me has like a spare tire that spare tire is the fat part i gotta get rid of (laughs) no you're just covered in love mike you're just covered in love no it's marshmallows it's like just squishy ass marshmallows that i'm covered with and some people like marshmallows apparently my wife i don't know why Because you're wonderful and creative and funny and amazing, blah, blah, blah. Moving on. Well, I was going to say, I had a shorter but very similar story to where we were filming a bunch of promotional stuff at work. We were just launching our store, and they asked me, as the bike mechanic, to do some filming. And they also asked me to bike around places and just like stay there basically as a prop around some pretty places around town take pictures but i was with this very beautiful person and uh this beautiful person she had like a million pictures taken of her and then they got to me and i no joke they took two and said that's all we need and <laughs> the moment they turned around i just started laughing so hard i was like oh i see what this is okay that's pretty funny that's that's pretty good and uh, they wrapped up really fast. And that's basically what they did the rest of the day. Anytime they needed my picture, it was like, two and done. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> They're just getting like backups for the backups in case her pictures all get deleted. They're like, well, we'll use this guy, I guess. But we'll just get well, two y- of them. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah just two. <laughs> well, so I feel your pain. Well, it wasn't pain. I guess the thing that I thought was so funny is how angry I was. And then there was a a change. It was literally when I saw people writing their names on a piece of paper because they were going to send them like a release to be on film. I was like, why isn't my name on that paper? And then I noticed everything. I, I noticed the panning of the camera avoiding me. I noticed that they moved me out of shots. And I thought about everything all at once. And I went, oh, damn, I'm ugly. And... It just one. Well, it should also be noted that I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast previously, but you have had sort of another experience at the nursery where they wanted to use you guys as props. So it's <laughs> yeah. not just like this is yes. like a one-time thing. This was like they've done this before. I, I'll be real quick with talking about that. They had the governor of the state come because they signed some bill, meaning that the nursery is going to expand their section. And they were telling me ahead of time, uh, like the, the bosses of the nursery, if they ask you this, you need to say that and you need to say that. And I hate that. Just let me be a real person. If you want me to schmooze them, I'll schmooze them. It's not a problem, but don't give me a script. Okay. I, again, don't mind being in camera, but let me be my, myself. Don't try to make me somebody else. 
So they were, you know, doing the same sort of thing. They were staging us in an area. They said, all right, when the governor comes through, we're going to have, you know, all of you here doing work and we're going to have you like faced this way. So it looks like you're doing work in this position. And it's just, it felt so cheesy and forced. And it's like, if your district manager is coming to a store and you have to clean because, oh no, we got to make sure we look good, but that's not showing the actual problems with the store. It's just exposing a really false narrative to whoever's in charge saying that this place looks great and i hate that mm -hmm. i'd rather them see what problems there are for themselves because they know it's not going to be clean and perfect the whole time and that if, if they're a good manager they should know that small things like that will happen it's okay but anyway with the governor when they came into the room we had the dean of the college come in say to everybody else who was there which was like camera crews and a whole bunch of you know government people they're like and here's our students here they're not just props they each have their own story and i'm just thinking bitch you posed us in this position and told us what to say we are props and i just wanted to scream that out at everybody so this was my second example of that of just at the same job being told this is what you do and this is how you do it and you know i did not like yeah this is some bullshit. Anyway. Long dumb story. Let's talk about some video games. Video games. Video games. We're all pretty pro gamers here. I like to think. Um, oh yeah. Oh, the yeah. the proest leadest of gamers. Things that I think are interesting about games is how the atmosphere of a game can really affect its mood and really affect kind of the way that you you play it as well. You have the way you experience it. The way you experience it. That's that's what I meant. Apologies. Yeah. So what? What do you guys think would make a, or what does make a good atmosphere in video games? And what's your favorite kind of environment atmosphere? I guess every time I think of atmosphere, I always think of environment, but it doesn't necessarily have to be, I guess. Well, it does help. Yeah, I think environment is a very big contributing factor to an atmosphere. For me, a lot of it is going to be music. Music definitely sets a, a tone for how you're supposed to feel, or it can link you to a specific spot. So, you know, one of the greatest examples I can think of is The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, right? It's got unique songs for every area that you're in, which kind of links your memory to those specific areas. So as you go into Death Mountain Crater, you know, you hear this bubbly music in the, or not bubbly music, but you hear the lava bubbling in the background and, you know, the, the music sets the tone for that. But then when you're in the forest, it's, you know, a lot more cheerful and bright and it, there's there's a tonality to the audio that really allows you to be afraid or happy or scared or curious about whichever individual place you're in. So see, uh, at least how I feel, uh, I really love music and the environment itself when it comes to atmospheric games. But sound design for me is a, a make or break in immersion and atmosphere i think bioshock for its time i was gonna say that nah uh just kidding that was mine uh hunt showdown <laughs> you can both say it you can nope bioshock. Uh, okay. no. <laughs> hunt showdown hunt showdown its sound design is insane and it's kind of weird to think that a game I don't know. Anytime there's good music in a game, it instantly captures my attention. And I'm like, I love this game. I can get in this atmosphere. I can really do it. But Hunt Showdown virtually has no music while you're playing the game. 
but its sound design carries everything. It, you're you're in a swamp in the 1890s, and you have all these lever action guns, and all of these guns have their own unique sound and animation, and like that instantly hooks me. I connect to sound more than I really connect to visuals. So when I hear the sound, I can just close my eyes and be like, I'm in this world now. I can let my imagination do the rest. And Hunt Showdown is really strong with that. They're, the sound engine specifically for that, the, the Crytek engine is, whoo, it's good for sound. So I don't know, sound, I love it. I love it in atmospheres. I think I read something once about why sound affects us is because it is the quickest sense that we process. So visually, it takes more time for our brain to process an image and figure out what's going on versus sound, which is almost instantaneous in relative terms for our brain. And I I wonder if that has a, a direct influence on how much you can get out of a soundscape. Honestly, that may be. For me particularly, I got a slow brain. so. Anything that gets me to, not necessarily the final product, but for me to understand what this product is supposed to be, and if it's supposed to be, you know, sound gets you there the fastest, that would make sense logically. Like, oh, I just connect with the easiest because it's what I'm most familiar with, it's what I can process the fastest. That would make sense. I think for sound, it's not the main focus for me. So for Bioshock, I'd have to say the visuals. The Visuals in Bioshock to me are so fascinating and interesting. And the idea and the story around Bioshock is so fascinating and interesting that I just kind of want to like look at all of this stuff, you know? And so that's what really drew me in, especially when you're traveling in like the little underwater elevator thing. Um, and you can kind of see the environment on the outside around you. Like I just, I love looking at, you know, all of the little details that they put into it. And for me, that's what really immerses me in Bioshock is just the beautiful visuals that they have. I will say as far as gameplay goes in general, the audio is definitely still immersive and not just in Bioshock, but in, in general. But I find it more of like a, a secondary, secondary, second secondary. <laughs> I'm great at the English language. Thank you. Yeah, it's a second sense of how I know an atmosphere kind of really, really immerses me. Um, you hear something, you know, behind you and you're like, oh, okay. But having sort of that spooky visuals of being underwater and everything's kind of decaying and, you know, everything's a little flooded and that, that grips me way more than the sound does. The sound is like an added bonus of like, oh God, okay, okay, okay there it is. Okay. And especially, I guess with like, not horror games, but spookier games, the sound is definitely an enhancer to everything. I also think something that doesn't, I guess it kind of plays into visuals. Well, I mean, it really plays into visuals. But I think the lack of HUD is, it it definitely is tied to visuals. But when you don't have a lot of things on your screen telling you, this is your ammo count, this is your health, this is uh, what's going on over here, there's a mini map over there. I feel like that definitely immerses me. And then on top of that adds to the atmosphere because I'm not being consistently distracted by what's going on in my heads of display and I can actually take in the world. I feel like that was it. it, it, This is such a stupid thing to complain about, but that was actually one of my problems with playing The Witcher 3. Witcher 3 is a beautiful game 
it's one I would love to just delve into, get right in there and immersed. But the moment I start traveling from one place to another, I feel like I'm no longer looking at my screen and I'm just looking at my minimap. And it's like the lack of minimap sometimes or just a lack of HUD really helps me just get into the game. One game that was great for that is Metro. Metro Exodus, there's pretty much no HUD during the entirety of that game and the sound design, the visuals are beautiful. And since there is no HUD, I can appreciate those that much more. And it's, oh, oh, it's a good game. I believe that Metro 2033 was the same way as well. There was a very, very limited HUD and you would have to do a lot of things by like looking at your watch. Or, yes. You know. Oh, because then those details really stand out. Like being able to, there's, I know, there's a lot of games where you have those, those indicators that aren't on your HUD. They're like on your gun or they're on your person where you can look at your actual in-game character, but then they are meaningless when you have a HUD. And at yeah, least that's how I feel. Halo's battle rifle is, or well, it, yeah. assault rifle is a great example. Assault rifle, yeah. The assault rifle has the ammo count in your magazine on the back of the rifle and you never look at it because you're just looking at your HUD. Exactly, yeah. I think one thing that was at least really immersive to me in video games was when I played uh, GTA V. It was the NPCs who were very immersive because there's a lot of different interactions you could get with NPCs that really uh, enhanced and made you feel like you're in that kind of world, the very GTA kind of world with how most NPCs talk to you. But I thought um, just that kind of interaction with NPCs in GTA V and also, I mean, like, different things like the internet and also all the different details throughout the world. And then you'd see NPCs talk about some of those details or what they saw in the news or just different things that are happening in that world. I found it very immersive and it felt a lot more like I was in that world than other things. And most people don't really talk about that. They usually talk about either, like, the environment, like, the visuals or the the music or sound. But I feel like NPCs are usually never talked about when it comes to immersion in games yeah i i totally agree i think that the the small details is actually what you're really focusing on and that's what does make the atmosphere for a game rockstar is great with it especially if you look at something like red dead redemption 2 uh, the the amount of small details in the background the way that you walk through mud or snow and it just leaves an imprint it just makes mm. you feel that you are in that world at that point mm -hmm. the, the way that they have their npcs interact with the main character depending upon what you do another example of a company that i actually think is very good at doing atmospheric stuff is bethesda i think that with the main games that like the Elder Scrolls or the Fallout series, especially Fallout 4, I think doesn't get enough praise for its environment. There are several times when you will be going through something that is not visually beautiful. It'll just be a building and you walk into the bathroom and you see a teddy bear sitting on the toilet seat and, you know, you don't notice it right away, but it gives a really kind of funny in the background. Oh, this this teddy bear is using the toilet somebody put it there in this world gives a goofy feel to the post-apocalypse that is a really good tone and a really good atmosphere for the fallout series which is kind of cynical in a lot of ways so i i think bethesda does those very small details where you can run through and loot everything and miss those details but if you just stop and try and absorb 
the environment the environment into you know yourself while you're playing you will notice those tiny little touches just like rockstar does with their npcs walking down the street i think you're totally right with bethesda on that they're very good at i i feel like that's definitely an immersive aspect but they're really good storytellers when it comes to just visual like it's not even the main story like you yeah like you said you're just off doing something random and then you have this little story that you could totally miss but you just you could sit there and take it in and it could mean something to you and it really doesn't affect the rest of the game but it's really nice that it's there and it adds the atmosphere the immersion it just adds to the entire game experience so yeah they do that really well i think red dead does that really well too and i think about it red dead 2 anywhere you go i feel like oh there was a there was a story here and you kind of just piece it together you're like, oh, but this might have happened. This might have happened. Red Dead's very, very good at doing that. Yeah. I think it probably <clears throat> also depends upon what each video game is going for. Like, what kind of story they want to tell. Do they want to tell a story that is visually driven or auditorially driven or environmentally driven? You know, I played this game that was free on Epic called Dark, D-A-R-Q. Oh, boy. I don't know if any of you guys played it. That one. I did this one. It, have you played it yet? Oh, I know of it. I've seen it. For me, that one specifically, I think the audio standpoint was really a driving force of that game. Of course, they had beautiful visuals, but it was all the little auditorial details that they added that really, you know, kind of brought that into fruition. There's a a moment that you, you can kind of walk on a wall and the sound that it makes when you like walk on the wall is like, whoa, like... It's satisfying and it really just like pulls you into like, okay, now the story is moving in this direction because we're physically moving into a separate direction. I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's really good overall, but I think that the audio, audio of that game really kind of helped drive that game for me. So I think it, it just all really depends upon what kind of game are you playing? Is it, you know, an open world? Is it just a quick story? Is it, you know what what is it you're you're trying to play and so what is it they're trying what you, what is it they're trying to bring to the table so i think all of these elements i don't think there's i guess a right answer of like what makes a a perfect kind of atmosphere i think it's all all dependent upon the game no but i, I guess what are we kind of defining defining <laughs> what are we defining as atmosphere and that is a hard thing i i think yeah. we're putting elements of atmosphere is what we're talking about but what would you say is an atmosphere for a game is it the way that it presents itself in a unique appearance and audio and storytelling perspective and i think that's the hard thing to define when you look at different tv shows and movies and video games everything that you really enjoy probably has its own atmosphere in terms of the way it tells its story and I, I don't know the answer to this question. That's that's the dif- difficult part. What kind of elements do you need to put together to create a really good world that people can dive into? I think it, it, I, overall, I guess what I'm trying to say is we're exploring the elements without strictly defining it. Does that make sense? Yes. I, sure. I feel like it is. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> it is very hard to define fine atmosphere in in video games i guess like i i can't put it into words i guess it's just an experience 
Yeah. I don't know. I was gonna. I was gonna say something like, "I I really enjoy when it's another element, but I really enjoy when these elements are evolving with you in the video game because that immediately also immerses you and puts you in that atmosphere." So, for example, one thing that Dying Light Two is doing, which I am going to find awesome, is uh, the music is consistently changing based on the altitude that you are currently in in the world. So, I think at ground level. It's just dead silence. So when you're with like zombies and everything, dead silence. There's nothing. It's just the sound design and the visuals are going to carry all of that. But the higher you get up, the more the music is changing. And I believe it even goes into like different tracks depending where you are in altitude. So I, I feel like getting creative like that as well is going to be c- cool in video games. It's going to really add to an atmosphere. Maybe not necessarily a realistic atmosphere to a sense because i don't know that doesn't feel very real but it definitely adds to the feel that they're going for I, man and not ever since you said that i'm like i'm trying to define atmosphere in my head and i really can't yeah I, I think you actually just defined it pretty good it's the experience you have uh, the unique experience that you have of something i guess <laughs> maybe i just accidentally said it uh... yeah yeah it's it's it, it is a tough thing to uh, to try and figure out because everybody can approach something in their own viewpoint or own unique way. And how can you add elements that brings cohesion amongst all those different viewpoints? And I think kind of that's what atmosphere is. Would you consider mechanics part of the atmosphere, like with Portal and how you can literally walk through the portals. Like, is that considered atmosphere? Or is that just more of the gameplay itself? Uh, so why don't we break down a game like Portal? We've all played it, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why don't we talk about something in Portal that gives it its atmosphere? I personally don't think the mechanics give it atmosphere. I think it's the fact that you kind of see this broken down area that's void of any other human and it's just robots i think that is one of the biggest keys to the atmosphere of portal or portal 2 i feel like it's also i feel like emi kind of has something with the mechanics but maybe not mechanics on its own i feel like seeing the story play out in the way that it does like the, the, the story makes sense because the mechanics work with the story and the environments work with the story and the environments work with the mechanics and like they're all playing into each other very well. So it makes the the world that they've set up believable or at least maybe not believable, but I'm able to, I guess, yeah, kind of believable. I like I feel like it's believable and having those portals, understanding how they work and understanding that this is a, a massive part of the story. I feel like it kind of does add to the atmosphere. Per- like I perhaps wouldn't- then it's not the mechanics themselves it's the fact that the mechanics aren't betraying the story that they've created yeah like, so they specifically say that you get these boots that you land so you don't break your feet which makes sense because yeah. if you're thinking about the mechanics and all of a sudden you make a portal on the ceiling and the floor and you're flying through and just going faster and faster until you reach terminal velocity. If you shoot that out, <laughs> you would just go splat like and break your legs. But, you know, they've done something and just put in this little touch says, hey, these boots, make sure you don't break your legs. And I think. And yet when you're flying from a portal at terminal velocity towards a wall, 
you still don't break well, anything. You're, you're stopping with your legs. You're putting your legs out <laughs> oh, in front okay, of yeah. you. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that's that's a small... Th- I think mechanics alone, they may add to atmosphere. I don't know. I'm still on the fence with that. I think the thing I, that I just is meant- how the mechanics are supported in the world is what the atmosphere yes. is. I think what Emi was saying specifically about portals makes sense to me, but if you were to, I don't know, think like a game like Halo Infinite, for example, and you're thinking about the mechanics of the bullet velocity of the skewer, and you're like, well, that doesn't add to the atmosphere. It's it's like it's not it's not adding to the story. It's not a bigger picture in the world. That's just a mechanic itself. But I think. Amy specifically talking about portals since the portals are so frequently mentioned and since they're like the main purpose of the story i feel like that i don't know they they it's really hard to <laughs> describe I, so, I guess. why don't, so why don't we I keep talking say... about what amy thought instead of yeah, yeah, yeah i think <laughs> we should do yeah. that so uh, what i'm pretty sure amy was talking about the portals is the colors of the portals that was really atmospheric in the way that they worked because it immersed you. Like blue and orange are such a great contrast. Uh-huh. Those light bridges, though. Amy, no, shut I'm up, sorry. Amy. We're trying to have a conversation. Oh, here. sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Oh, no, yeah, you're right. Amy, you go. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Well, so, what, do you, what were you talking about? Okay. So, what I mean when I said portal, that's the first thing I, first example I could think of. But portal is a very unique game mechanic with the fact that you are not just running and hiding or running and shooting things or whatever. Like, yes, you are shooting things, but these portals do interact with the environment around you. It is a very unique game mechanic to that game. So with games like Portal or like Dark, where walking on the walls and walking on the ceilings shifts your perspective and shifts how you play the game, Mm. it is a game mechanic, but it also helps because you're interacting with the environment it it's 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 not just like with red dead where you're running around and you're on a horse or whatever it's different because it's part of a unique game mechanic and that's what i was trying to say is do you think like unique game mechanics are also included in that immersion category cuz i think it kind of does because it's uh, but i but i'm also would not sure say i don't know no <laughs> great point though and the very specific reason why i would say no is because if you have ever played a fan-made map in Portal 2, they don't have the same atmosphere as one of like the campaign maps. It feels off, and you're yeah. using the same mechanics, but the way that it's paced and the story that they are, you know, in their limited ability able to tell in there is just not nearly the same as what Valve created. And it's using the same mechanics. That's what I'm trying to. That that's why if you get a really good like ROM hack or mod or something like that, it's so difficult to outdo or get close to what the original game is because it is not somebody that is, I think, taking. And I'm not saying this is the case with every mod or ROM hack or anything, but it's somebody who is taking assets and something that has already been created and applying it as a redo as like a fan fiction so to speak and it's not always that you know fan fiction's good but sometimes it kind of sucks so how, how dare you <laughs> think of like a 
Just kidding. It, there's a lot. You have to wade through a lot of terrible ones to get to like that one little gold nugget. And you're like, this gold nugget will be the next 48 <laughs> hours of my life. <laughs> uh, then how do you feel about video games? Like, do you think a, a game like Gary's Mod has an atmosphere where it's built to be a moddable game? I don't really think so. Yeah, I'd have to say like the what is it called? What are the what's the actual game called? T, not TF2. What's the Half-Life? Half-Life, yeah. So I think Half-Life has the atmosphere you're looking for, but I would not say Gary's Mod has really any kind of atmosphere cuz it's more about playing it like, you, it you're with using other people. The, well, uh, cuz I would say that the game itself, the base game itself does not have atmosphere. But the game modes that you play within Gary's mod they have atmosphere. So, which is, yeah, that's what I mean. It's, but these are the tools. It's I not guess, just to, the mechanics individually. It's the way that yeah. the mechanics are combined with other things. So Gary's mod, you know, a, if you have something that has a really great atmosphere, it's going to have unique visuals. Um, it's going to use the mechanics that Gary's mod allows, which is going to be typically Half-Life stuff. But it ha- could have unique sounds. It could have unique artwork, pacing. I think there's so many more different things that combine together together to give you that experience than just the game mechanics alone. But, you know, talking about it now, yeah, maybe game mechanics are part of that atmosphere experience, but I don't think it is something you could say that is contributing to atmosphere directly. I think it's more of like a mechanics are strengthening other elements that add to atmosphere rather than adding to atmosphere itself. Yeah, so they're indirectly strengthening atmosphere rather than directly strengthening. All right, so let's so update our, our definition here. There we go. <laughs> atmosphere is the experience you get by combining audio, visual, and input exp- uh, 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 stuff. <laughs> Too many words. <laughs> yep. No, I think that was that was pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Oh no. That was a chain reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy just fell over and then grabbed his pants. Well, is that surprising? Not really. (laughs) Pooping his pants. That's Tommy. Tommy poops his pants. Gilgan. So what we're basically saying is that video games are good and you should play them. Is there any game that anybody's excited to play that's coming out? I know a lot of them just came out. You guys have been playing Battlefield 2042 a bit. Which, I mean, speaking of sound design, that is a game, or well, not that game, but uh, most dice battlefield games. I love listening to them on a good pair of headphones because, oh my God, especially if you're in like a city, you can hear all the echoes of the bullets and you know where people are without having to, you know, pinpoint them down. And that brings me into that environment so much quicker than if they give me a story about these bad guys just invaded now we need to invade back i'm like all right that's boring but the sound i'm like yeah that's hot i like that i feel like liam should talk about battlefield one because i think we both agree that that is probably the without a doubt most atmospheric war game ever created yeah shooter most atmospheric shooter yeah shooter sorry made by far especially as somebody like me, who is a nerd at that kind of stuff, too. It's not oh. the most realistic thing, but it's very immersive. I It really feels uh, like I'm there. Like One of my favorite things about it is 
well, there's two things actually. When you play some of, on some of the maps, you're Austria, you're the Austro-Hungarian Empire versus Italy. One of my favorite maps is on that. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like this big mountain that you're on. There's a lot of crazy stuff. Lobkow Pass. Oh no, I know what you're talking about. No, that's the that's Russian. I know. Right um, but one of my favorite things in that is that in the war, uh, in Austria-Hungary didn't have enough supplies for the war even early on, so they ha- the Germans had to send a lot of their equipment, and they usually use a, lo- a bit of their worst equipment to send to Austria-Hungary to fight the war against Russia and Italy. And you'll see a lot of the Iron Cross and a lot of German flag things on Austria-Hungarian equipment when you're like on that Italian map. And I was like, that's crazy that they actually put that instead of just using, you know, what most people do, just the Austro-Hungarian stuff, because you're playing Austria-Hungary. You're also, a lot of times, you'll see the soldiers using German outfits, not outfits, thing. Costumes. Uniforms. Costumes. Costumes. Costumes, German costumes, because Germans had to send a bunch to them. Another thing that I really like is that another thing with Austria-Hungary is Austria-Hungary back then was a very diverse, one of the most diverse empires. This is the reason why it almost fell. Well, it did after the war. And it has a bunch of different ethnic groups and a bunch of different soldiers who speak different languages. It's one of the reasons why they did bad in the war. There's like six, seven different main languages, and most of them didn't speak each other's language, and they didn't group up people in the same language. You just put, throw a bunch of random people across the empire into it. And so, as you're playing as those soldiers, you'll, instead of just hearing German, which is what Austrians speak, or Hungarian, you'll hear a bunch of different things, like Serbian, Russian, you'll hear Croatian and Bosnian and stuff like that, which was all under, all under the empire. And I, uh, every time, I play on that map with Tommy against Italy. I'm just like, damn, this game is really, really well made because of the attention to detail that they put in that game on equipment, on everything that they possibly could. They, you can tell that the developers were really cared and were also allowed to do what they want and allow to make it a lot more historical and make it just a good Battlefield game for both historians and for people who enjoy, enjoy just shooting and blowing stuff up. I was going to say, just an, another detail of the language thing, like, when you were on a non-English side, a lot of the call-outs that your teammates would be making were in their native language. So, mm-hmm. Germans requesting for a revive would request it in their German. language, and it was awesome, yeah. like, French. French. being yeah. able to hear that. I um, like that. There's so many different languages, and instead of just giving it a shitty, like, in Battlefield 2042, they would give them just a shitty russian accent on the russian side and i get it in battlefield 2042 it's different because technically it's not actually russians and americans fighting it's people across the world fighting each other that don't have their own nation but at the same time they do try to fill the russian side with more russian accents and the american side with more americans instead of a bunch of people speaking a bunch of different languages because they're a bunch of people across the world fighting each other not everybody speaking English, but I guess today most people do speak English. The only language you need to speak is American. <laughs> American. <laughs> yeah, I just think simplified English. <laughs> <laughs> Guns, cheeseburgers, cap- capitalism, freedom. Gun, she- there you Eagles. go. Eagles. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the game was really. It just it has so everything that a battlefield game 
should have when it comes to wanting to put you in an atmosphere or immersing immersing emerging 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 in you and uh it, it destruction sound design music visuals like it has it completely all down to the tooth nail it was amazing surprised you guys game, didn't bring up the horses i mean that's the best part uh, yeah the horses i oh, the, oh, the invincible horses can murder everybody Yes. I mean, to be fair, when you're making a, a whatchamacallit, a war game, it's got to be, you know, fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, of course. That's why I was saying so, it wasn't super realistic. Oh, you yeah. The balance, there's... the story inside, and the people who just want to shoot and blow stuff up. But yeah. I think I that think goes that perfectly. I think it goes back to kind of what you were saying with like the NPCs for GTA. You are noticing details that bring you to a new elevation when you're playing a game so i know one of the things with gta is if you just like start walking behind somebody after a while they're going to start looking behind their shoulders at you and if you're just walking they start getting creeped out and that's such a cool little detail that they put into a game same thing as different people in the same team speaking different languages it's a detail that you don't consciously notice until you know you do right i guess you say most people probably don't consciously notice but it just brings a little bit more realism to the table most people probably don't realize it's different languages yeah but if you do notice it's something that doesn't take you out of it when you if you spoke those languages it wouldn't go wait a second that's not the same language as this so what are they doing you'd go oh okay actually that kind of makes sense in the the era that they were in so yeah. it's not a subtractive detail it's more of an additive one yeah they were really good developing the game they also they added in a bunch of prototype guns that like were more prototypes and weren't used as much but only like very sparsely which i'm like wow they dig so far to just find a bunch of prototype guns like i feel like most developers would just make their own guns or just use different variants of the same guns that are really used but i was very impressed by like like they added a bunch of prototype guns that are added in because uh it was it was just uh, they need more guns for a shooting game they need more guns yeah <laughs> that's yeah. true too well i mean they did pan out a lot of the guns with like each gun had three different variants that were all yeah. very similar so the amount of guns that you see in the final product is about a third of what's actually there yeah which is you know it's it's okay I'm I'm fine with that. Like that's a small sacrifice to pay. I don't know. Another great detail in that game is just when you spawn in and everyone's yelling when they're charging. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my gosh! It's amazing. I, I think I like games, and I, I like this with TV shows and everything. Instead of telling you what the story is, instead of telling you what's going on, they kind of just show it to you along the way. <laughs> Again, going back to you know Fallout Four, it's a very it just shows you these tiny things that happened and you can read some lore and some books or on a computer screen to try to get you a little bit more like situated, but you can figure out a story without somebody behind you giving exposition. And yes, you know, they do that fairly well in the portal series. They do it a little less so in uh, stuff like GTA but you can always get a story out of it somehow, but it, it doesn't have to be full of exposition. And I think that's another great detail to give you atmosphere because it's something that is then taking you into that world as opposed to explaining that world to you. And I think that definitely subtracts from the atmosphere, at least for me, is what the exposition dumps. Yeah. 
Dying Light uh, is a great example. We've all been playing it uh, recently, and w- I don't care about the story at all in that game. Yeah, yeah. No. But it's I like can next skip, pre- skip, skip. Yeah, I can pretty much understand what's going on based upon everything that we see. I, I think the a way to just immediately immerse me or get me to care about the atmosphere of the game or the story in general is to. I guess make the gameplay good. Make the mechanics good. <laughs> Hilariously enough, we're back on this. Like, if you make a game at its core that is just so much fun to play around, I'm immediately going to be interested in everything else that this world has to offer. Overwatch did this for me tremendously. And I guess it's actually a little less bad atmosphere than I was originally anticipating, but Overwatch was like, at its core, great game. So much fun. And then they were releasing, like, those those shorts those animated shorts and then they would release comics and they would release like little lore things here and there and i was like i actually care about this game tremendously because the game at its core is just a blast so i don't know i think it rewards people who want to explore more if those details are actually there yeah you know yeah if it's just a fun game at its core that's fine but if you want to develop a devoted fan base that just can't wait for the next character to come out then you're going to need a little bit more than just good mechanics for that next character you're going to want to show okay how does this character fit into the overall arcing story that's being told and some people they won't care about that at all but the hardcore people that really love something like overwatch and they're all they're announcing a new hero they're going to be all about it just trying to figure out the backstory and what else is going to happen it's true no, what I'm about to ask, we can always... Oh, wait, no, Amy, go first, because... I was just going to say, to go back to Mike's question earlier about what games are we excited about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about Star Wars Legos, the Skywalker saga, if it ever does decide to release. And that, I don't care about the environment, I don't care about the music, I just want to smash Legos with a lightsaber and collect a bunch of studs. <laughs> And do puzzles that are either incredibly easy or the most frustratingly difficult thing you've ever done in your life. It's so true. There is no middle ground with Lego games. Yeah. I've played all the games that I'm interested in, you know, new releases. Honestly, I don't really care about new releases anymore. I don't think anybody should for the most part. I think the way that AAA gaming has gone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yep and he's ducking down there we go (laughs) yeah if if you pre-order a game what is wrong with you (laughs) i can totally understand that if you Mm -hmm. i can't understand i was trying to figure out a a way that i would understand i just i don't understand it i I think it's people get super excited about games and and this is not just games it's movies or i guess movies don't really come pre-release or pre-order but um like books or music or video games or whatever it's it's this idea of like i want to make sure i get it because i'm so excited for it and i know a lot of times the reason why they do pre-orders is because they want to see how much effort they should put into kind of finishing it because if there's not a lot of interest in pre-orders then they realize like okay there's not really a lot of interest in this so we don't need to make as many like when it comes to like books or, or music, you don't really need to make as many because not as many people are interested. I guess with video games, it is a little different, but maybe pre-orders help with how many hard copies they have to make, you know? See, I think it used to be that way, but in, in, 
of course, none of us are actually in the video game industry, but I remember having to pre- No, we're experts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, experts on everything. That's why we just never mind. Um <laughs> uh, I, I decided to have our own podcast. Yeah. I think that if you look at how traditional media was, when there was a physical copy, you needed to go pick it up. And because they did not want to make a whole bunch of extra copies of something that might not sell, they wouldn't order as many and they would slowly get more in. So that is a great example of what pre-ordering should be if you are going for something that is physical. But the biggest way that you get video games now is digital and it's not like they're going to run out of them. So what is the point of pre-ordering if there is an unlimited supply of it? Now, they could throw out pre-order bonuses if you're super dedicated, but especially if you look at any major video game company, every release in the past 10 years has pretty much sucked. There's but not been a lot of games that just knock it out of the park, except for Nintendo, because they have great quality control. But most other companies, they release betas. And I understand video game development is incredibly difficult. I am not trying to knock developers here. I think it's more of a publisher problem, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I just don't understand why as a consumer, and I'm not talking about the benefits that the company gets, as a consumer, why you would pre-order a video game, knowing the track record that the big studios have in the industry and how bad the releases are. So I have two reasons. One's personal for me, and one is because I know I know of it. Content creators, first of all, if you're a content Fair creator, point, yeah. like if you and it's it's the way it's content creation has shaped the video game industry and the entertainment industry tremendously. If you don't pre-order and make a video soon within that like time slot, well then it's just not gonna get as many views because that popularity spike of when it was played during those first couple of days is no longer there and people don't care about it. Okay. Like but before you go on, let's tackle that specific one. If you're a big mm-hmm. enough concrete content creator, you're going to get a code for an advanced copy anyway. So you don't need to pre-order. Second, Fair point. if you're a small content creator, pre-ordering or ordering it the second it comes out is not going to make a difference in the digital distribution. And no, unless I, it's I, a, unless it's a preload that you do when you get it and in that case Maybe if you get to download a hundred gig game and it saves you, you know, an hour or two that you can then play and put a video out, I could kind of see it at that point, but that is not your average consumer. Uh, no, I, that's, that's, I was just making that point for those people. I understand that's like the 1%, but you didn't let me finish. No, no, no. I, just, I, I was going to say yeah. that me personally, the reason why I, I have pre-ordered in the past is because the hype surrounding it is just its own like feel i understand that pre-ordering is not smart i've watched plenty of content creators who are saying don't pre-order it's dumb i from you mike from my friends don't pre-order but it's for a game let's just say cyberpunk right i pre-ordered that and i have this i don't know if it's going to be true because you can only experience once it once but i have a feeling that if I didn't pre-order it when I did, I wouldn't have enjoyed it as much because it was just the idea that everyone's talking about it and I got to experience it with everyone else when it was first coming out. It's kind of like watching Game of Thrones, you know, 
a few years after the it like i wasn't i wasn't there weekly with everyone watching it it was just like i came after and then i was like oh game of thrones ended shit and everyone's like yeah we know we uh we've seen it before but for like a game like cyberpunk i'm like wow i really like these aspects of the game and i really don't like these aspects of the game and then it's like a an active discussion that i can have with other people when like right then and there instead of a year later when people don't really care about it that's pretty much the only reason i've ever pre-ordered a game i can get trying to be part of the zeitgeist and to try to experience it at the moment when everybody else is i do understand that yeah no i'm just saying that's, that's the only reason i pre-ordered a game other than that it's just usually like battlefield 2042 damn i sometimes regret it i'm like i am having kind of fun but that was a lot of money well i could have just waited for christmas when it was going on sale yeah but even that i think that you can be part of the zeitgeist of something if you just wait for the reviews to come out <laughs> to to see how buggy a game is. You know, I don't think that having one day after release and then starting to play then is a bad thing. I think the patience is going to be worth it oh, more. See, I mean, I've pre-ordered plenty of games. I'm not like blameless in this. I've definitely contributed to the industry problem throughout the years. I've just been burned so many times by it that I've wised up. And even if it's a game that I really want, the last game that I really wanted to get was Metroid Dread. And I waited until after it was released to make sure it wasn't a buggy mess. Surprise, it wasn't. And it it was a blast. And I just bought it then, even though I knew I was going to buy it. I just didn't know if I was going to buy it at release or several months after it got patched. Yeah. And I think that also... I don't know. Maybe it's a- another factor, I guess, that plays semi into it is I just don't want to be spoiled for it because I-, I know I'm a weak willed ass bitch when it comes to something. So sometimes I'll just click on something and then spoil myself. But really, the lesson here is just to not pre-order coming from someone who does pre-order and was pre-ordered, you know, well, only two games really in the past year and a half because waiting for the reviews and then experiencing something when it's not buggy is much better. It is going to be nice, though. I guess also being a part of that, being a part of the journey, like being part of Battlefield 2042's journey. I was there when it was shit, and now it's just <laughs> kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> you guys didn't know what it was like. I suffered. I think the I problem with pre-orders is that a lot of times the perks that go with pre-orders are mostly just cosmetic, which kind of sucks just because, I mean, you want to like cool while you're playing your whatever game you decided to play, but it's like if that's your incentive, for pre-ordering it just seems kind of silly to me so I, I definitely agree i think pre-ordering video games nowadays doesn't no. necessarily make sense i understand from like books or or music or whatever that to me makes sense when it's a hard because they also yeah well they also usually give you yeah exactly for a hard copy for a digital thing it doesn't necessarily make sense unless they're giving you a special pre-order deal and then it's like oh okay well it's like you know 25 20 bucks cheaper to order this now rather than when it releases like yeah okay well then that is a reason then why i would pre-order it but i think a lot of times it's like yeah full game you can pre-order now and get a special shoe suit saying that you pre-ordered and you're like cool thanks i guess that's better than them doing like an exclusive mission for pre-ordering or something because then I figure mm. it's like, hey, you don't get all the game content unless you pay for it before it's released. Yeah, pre-ordering is a very iffy thing. Because the moment you give like 
an actual benefit to a player or an experience that no one else is going to experience, that's the moment I'm like, nope, I don't even want to play this game at that point. Now, <laughs> like, how, do you, how does everybody feel? Because I'm going to maybe be a hypocrite here about early access because it is pre-ordering before access. a game comes out, but you get to play it as it happens. So one of the games that I've been playing in early access or have not been playing recently is uh, Satisfactory. I think it's just an amazingly fun game, especially if you are in that try to optimize efficiency mindset. But they went from one update to another and it completely ruined a lot of work that I did in the factory. And I'm just going to wait for the full game to be released at this point until they stop making those major changes so that I don't have to start over again. And, you know, I guess then that is the thing. I got to play it. I knew what it was like before I ordered it, so to speak, but the game's not out yet, and I am a beta tester. I actually don't mind those. I think that it's fun to kind of see the changes. Now, I didn't get as heavily invested in Satisfactory as you did, Mike, and I know that you did way more work than I ever did, so I can see how that would really suck, but I, th I think a lot of times with games like those, a lot of people re -enjoy, uh, really enjoy kind of the replay aspect of those and getting their factories more efficient or, you know, getting their villages more efficient. Um, oh, there's a new update. Let me, you know, see how I can make a better village with the new update or whatever it may be, depending upon what game it is. I actually really enjoy those. I know a lot of people do, especially content creators kind of going back to that. It's like, oh, there was a new update. Here's a new video. You know, let's game it out, who I think we all watch. It's really fun seeing all of his kind of update videos for games that are technically not officially released or whatever uh is really fun because you know he's just pure chaos so it's fun to see how he's like ah a new thing for me to create chaos with so from a not even a playable standpoint but from a entertainment standpoint i actually don't mind those games i think when they're released like that early access games even though early it has access. EA. couldn't think of the word <laughs> <laughs> early access even though it has ea in the title it's still pretty good I think it gives a chance to smaller studios to really shine. <laughs> like, I think a lot of games that I did play that were in early access have actually come out now, and they're wonderful games, and I feel like they've gotten their, the popularity they truly deserve. So, for example, GTFO, that's made by a smaller studio of seven developers that split off from the payday Two development group and they made their own game and they pitched in all their money and then they put in early access for everyone to buy and when people did buy it it also helped them fund the rest of the development and it's like turning into this wonderful game that i'm very glad i got to support early on same with deep rock same with risk of rain same with you know valheim I think it's it's a positive cycle that gives smaller studios a chance to shine. And then not only that, content creators to make videos on it for the studios to shine even further and to continue to fund their development. I understand that sometimes that off chance that development team sees all this money and then they're just like, mm, we're out. See ya. But, you know, the development teams that stick with it and they're like, we see this money. Now we have a chance to actually build something awesome. It, that's that's what I personally love about early access. It really gives people the chance to make their dream game or their dream really come true, and for me to enjoy it as well. So 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the difference, like you would say, would be the publisher. And it is funny that you mentioned Deep yeah. Rock. We talked about Satisfactory. We talked about Valheim. And they are all Coffee Stain games. They're all, They're all published, published by Coffee yes. Yeah. But that specific, and I guess that could be their, and it, it seems like it is their business model. Mm-hmm. They obviously have had a lot of success with all these, but they are still putting it into okay, we're going to release it as early access and constantly update it as we go. Let's say Activision, with their next Call of Duty, puts it in early access in July of next year. Is that something that we then excuse for paying $60 for an incomplete game versus pre-ordering it and getting it and it's an incomplete game? Do you, I um, guess you, you assume that you know risk when you do an early access but when it's also, not early access, you're expecting a finished product. The wonderful thing about early access games, or at least the most of them that I've played, is the price point is much lower than when it starts. Yes. So Deep Rock was 15 whole ass dollars. Now it's 30, I believe. Well, this isn't Baldur's Gate 3. I've wanted to play for a long time, but I believe it's still early access and it was full price of $60. And I was thinking, why would I pay $60 for an early yeah. access game? Same reason why I wouldn't pre-order. It's probably just the price point. I, I think the, the price point plays into it because, I don't know, knowing it's really like what I'm about to say is like, why would I have pre-order then? Why did I pre-order? I'm like, I'm stupid. Well, we agree <laughs> on something. Act- if, <laughs> if Activision was like hey this next cod is early access sixty dollars i would like scoff you know and then like thinking about that i bought battlefield basically the exact same situation except they didn't label it early access they just released the game having a crisis right now give me a second that's a refund <laughs> battlefield <laughs> yeah i think no, that's the thing if, if i had to define it it's about the price and it's about knowing the experience i'm going to get ahead of time when i purchase a game that is released i expect it to be working and if it's something like battlefield or any of the major publishers that are releasing full price games i just think it's ridiculous that it's not finished that you have to wait for a couple months for an update and i don't support that with my dollars but if it's early access, it's half the price, and I know that it's going to be buggy, but I've heard really good things about it, a little more likely to play it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they're openly saying, it's this is buggy, so be prepared. And, uh, and sorry, another great thing about early access is also being a part of that community and being like, hey, these are the bugs I found, submitting them, and then seeing those results. A lot of times, yeah. in Deep Rock specifically... In their patch notes, they would say, here are the community found bugs that were submitted. And then they'd put like a little symbol next to it. And then they'll be like community requested mechanics, stuff like that. So, you know, it's also good to be part of that community in the early access. It would be interesting to see how early access would work with our storytelling, <laughs> releasing, a, releasing a chapter early access. This isn't the finished product. But here's a chapter. Yeah. This isn't the finished product, but here's a chapter. Well, because it technically will be a finished product. It's just part of the finished product. No, I, I'm, I'm just making a joke. Oh, okay, okay. I didn't know. If you, <laughs> I did not get that at all. <laughs> oh, boy. Early access is really only something that we can, video games can do, basically. We can write a story 
and then we'll be like it's early access and then we just the sing the songs in the later. background like do 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 that'd be a great like april fools yeah. prank here's our highly professional highly polished video that would be great no i i, I was just thinking about that cuz we're technically a story telling uh, podcast, story writing podcast. Uh, I think we might have gone a little too heavy on the whole early access aspect of video games, but you know, oh, shit. now it's, to say. it's something we're interested in. So you know what? If you this people aren't interested in, you're not listening to this part right now because you've already turned out and you, you already got rid of it. And if you're still listening, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? Uh, what video game do you want to see early access of? Um, um, not you, the audience. Um, Nobody cares about your opinion. Yeah, oh. you're just gonna pre-order it anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. How many games have I pre-ordered? Oh yeah, that's a lot of games. I'm gonna go. I well, back in the day when I was just playing on Xbox, I pre-ordered a lot of the Assassin's Creed games, but that's also that. because you would get a discount, and then you would also get like things with it so like one time i got a t-shirt with it and like another time i got a little like medallion symbol thing with it so they would like give you things with the the pre-ordering i think i got a cool collectible metal case on one of them as well so in that instance like i didn't mind pre-ordering it i was getting a discount cool. and i was getting something i was like that's fun but now that i play everything pretty much on pc i'm like yeah there's no point i'll just wait till tom buys it for me <laughs> damn bro Wait, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Just kidding. You know we Can't. love those Steam sales. Yeah, we do. We do love those Steam sales. Well, my most anticipated game, Hollow Knight Silk Song. Okay, thanks. Bye. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you just speak English? <laughs> no. <laughs> what game are you excited for, Tommy? Hollow Knight Silk Song. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> okay, cool. I love that game. <laughs> Hollow Knight Silk Song. What I'm there looking go. forward to, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm one of those nerds. I am right. most excited for Superland, S- Superland, Superland, Superland. But it's S U P R A, Supora, Supra, Supraland. Anyway, I am. What, that's that is, is legitimately about? the game that I'm excited for the most. What what's the new about? DLC is? What you're saying, right? Uh, the new DLC or the second game. Um, so oh, it's. I forgot about that. There is one guy who used the Unreal Engine to create a 3D Zelda-like adventure with stick figures in, like, a backyard sandbox. So, again, it's got great atmosphere to it because it's a very unique environment, but it's got a lot of great puzzles. It was exactly what I would like out of a video game. It was exactly up my alley. And I beat it. I played the first DLC. I beat that. And there's supposed to be a second DLC that's branching out into a whole mini game instead of just a DLC. And that is supposed to be released in January. And then they have a sequel to the game, which is its own unique thing. That's going to be these little stick figure guys inside of the house as opposed to outside in the sandbox. It's a very lovely game. If you haven't seen it, it's got rave reviews on Steam. It is uh, what I consider a masterpiece of game making, especially considering that it was a single person that did the overwhelming majority of the development mm-hmm. well cool i'm glad that you are excited for all those games you guys listening at your home or work or on a bus or wherever 
What games are you excited for? Do you pre-order? What is your opinion on cheese? We would love to hear from you. And you can reach us at 1L2N Productions. We are on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Reddit. So go on over there, follow us, and hit us up as well. And if you like what we're doing here and you want to help show your support, head on over to our Patreon and show your support financially. Thanks. Give us money. Appreciate it. Money, <laughs> money, please. <laughs> and you'll get more exciting content like this podcast. Oh, please not like this podcast. And then make it better. <laughs> make it better. Sarcastic woo. No, it'll be better. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. All right. And the last word of the day goes to. Wait, no. Missy. Mike. Oh. Anybody who pre orders a game for any reason. <laughs> might be the biggest fool in history because every reason they gave for why they would pre-order could absolutely just totally be destroyed by saying wait just wait for one hour after it's released to see if it's worth it (laughs) 